Hello, God Made Me Do It fans. This is Lisa coming at you all the way from San Diego. It is hot today. It is humid today. And I'm trying to get through it in this tiny place that I'm renting out uh, just, you know, temporarily. But I've got all the windows closed because I don't want any street noise. I want to make sure it's nice and quiet so we get a good recording. Becky, how are you doing? <laughs> what have you been up to lately? Oh my gosh. It was such a hectic day. Um, we just went and saw Coraline because they're doing like a little release, like a two day release um, yeah. of it back in theaters. So I was so excited because that's like one of our favorite movies. So we just got back and I'm like really looking forward to like Halloween now. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I bet it was nice and cool inside the theater as well. <laughs> yes. Luckily. I really missed you and I've missed the pod. I haven't really had a chance to focus on much more than moving. And so this is nice to kind of get back to normal, get back to what we love. And that's giving you guys a great true crime podcast and some really interesting subject matter. So uh, we've got a really good one today. And this one was brought by Becky. It was her idea. And I thought it was a really great way to kind of cap off our um, first season last episode of our first season so it's kind of like exciting even though it's the end it's still exciting because oh my gosh what are we gonna do next well we're gonna get into love made me do it so we've got to get a new logo going we're gonna have a lot different types of murders and things like that to talk about that are related to relationships and you know a lot of times people watch things like women that go crazy and you know because of their lovers and stuff like that and men that you know murder their wives and things along those lines yeah yeah i'm sure it's something on the id channel <laughs> exactly it is for sure oh yeah man. okay should we get into it yeah i think we're good let's go okay on december 8th 1980, Mark David Chapman shot John Lennon, the Beatles singer, songwriter, drummer, with a 38 caliber handgun. He shot five times, but only hit Lennon in the back four times. Hours earlier, he had met Lennon and asked him to autograph a copy of the album Double Fantasy, which he recorded with his wife Yoko Ono. Later that day, Lennon was returning home from his final recording session when he was fatally shot. Why would someone shoot one of the kindest, most peaceful human beings the music world had ever known? Find out with us on God Made Me Do It. Mark David Chapman was born May 10th, 1955 in Fort Worth, Texas. Chapman's family didn't stay in Texas long after his birth, though. His father was in the Air Force. His mother was a nurse. He ended up mostly growing up in Decatur, Georgia. He had a younger sister, Susan. He recalls his father as abusive and unloving. And we hear that a lot, don't we? In like a lot of these crime stories, parents are distant or abusive, and that always ends really, really badly. His mom was the victim of his father's physical outbursts, and when he was little, he would pretend to have powers and be like a god, reigning over imaginary tiny people who lived in his walls. As a teen, he loved music, and his obsession with the Beatles grew in his adolescent years. 
The hit song, All You Need Is Love, was out when he was around 12, which is kind of the age when music becomes really big to a kid. He would attend Columbia High School, still living in Georgia. During his freshman year in high school, Chapman started skipping school and using drugs regularly. At one point, he decided to run away to Atlanta, roughly 20 minutes from his home in the suburbs. After two weeks in the big city, he went back home. School was rough because kids would bully him for not being athletic. At 16, Chapman stopped doing drugs and turned his life around when he became a born-again Christian. At the Presbyterian Church, he would often pass out Bible tracts. I looked that up because I was like, what's a Bible tract? And he <laughs> said that Bible tracts were usually like small booklets or pamphlets. I didn't actually know that. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that until recently either. <laughs> <laughs> In the summer, he would help out at South DeKalb County YMCA. And this is where he met Jessica Blankenship, another counselor. She would later become his first girlfriend. So it seemed he was starting to do pretty great. The kids really enjoyed him at the Y. And he was given the nickname Nemo, a character from the Jules Verne novel, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. After a while, his hard work had paid off and he was promoted to assistant director and won the Outstanding Counselor Award. He had earned the reputation of being a hard worker and was good at what he did. In 1973, Chapman graduated high school, and for a while, he was just having fun, playing the guitar at church and Christian night spot, and he got a job with World Vision, and he moved to Arkansas and became a counselor at the YMCA there. Here, he began guiding Vietnamese refugees in Fort Chaffee. He also got to visit Lebanon while on assignment with World Vision, so he's traveling all over the place, and he seems pretty like, like he's stable, and he's doing pretty well. Yeah, it sounds cool. He was doing such a good job. He even got to shake hands with President Ford. Wow. <laughs> that He was the president when I was born. Oh, how funny. While he was on. Yeah. So he got to shake hands with President Ford while on a meeting with government officials. So he was working his way up in life. He was doing really well. But then when he returned home after his time with World Vision, Mark and his girlfriend attended Covenant College in Georgia, a Presbyterian college about two and a half hours from his hometown. This got overwhelming for Chapman, and he soon started falling behind in his work. His relationship wasn't going well either. He had cheated on his then-girlfriend and was being plagued by guilt, causing him to go into a depression. He ended up dropping out of college after only one semester, and then his girlfriend left him. In 1977, Chapman looked to make another change-up and seek new adventures moving to Hawaii. But things didn't go so well there either. He was still feeling depressed. This led him to attempting suicide by carbon monoxide asphyxiation. He tried to connect a hose to the car tailpipe, but it melted. I didn't actually know that could happen. Like, you know, you hear about people trying to commit suicide like that. But that is definitely not something that you think about. And probably in those moments, you know, like, Will, it, will the tailpipe get so hot that it's going to melt and then they're going to find me like this? He was taken to a hospital and the hospital that saved him not only rehabilitated him, but it also became his new workplace. He was diagnosed as clinically depressed and treated, but found new purpose when he began working there in the maintenance department as a janitor. Again, after working hard, he moved up to working in the print shop. 
At the same time he was getting back on his feet working at the hospital, his parents were divorcing. Once the divorce was final, his mom actually came to live in Hawaii as well. So, you know, it's just basic life, you know, like ups and downs. You never know what's going to happen, but a lot of stuff is like changing around him and hitting him hard. And he's made some bad decisions. Like cheating on his girlfriend was probably a really bad decision, especially if she was really into him. Yeah. Kind of just what happens when you're young. But yeah, um, you have temptations all around drugs and, you know, girls and whatever. Like everything else. I mean, it just seems like he was doing like really good. I was surprised he did so much before he even graduated high school. I know. That's like a lot. Himself, if you think about it, because a lot of people go through depressing times and when they first start college, you know, you're growing and changing so much. You're still figuring stuff out. And then he tries to commit suicide. And then, but then even God's there with him at that time. And he kind of like turns that around and starts working at the hospital. So, I mean, it looks like he's just still trying to persevere. Yeah. Um, So in 1978, Chapman decided he was going to travel the world. He visited Tokyo, Seoul, Hong Kong, Singapore, Bangkok, New Delhi, Beirut, which is in Lebanon, Geneva, which is Switzerland, London, Paris, and Dublin. This trip was partly, (laughs) I know, like so many places in six weeks. It's like more than six locations. I was like, wow, are you actually even seeing this <laughs> so this trip was partly inspired by the book around the world in 80 days where the main character goes to many of the same places but kind of in reverse order and then in 1979 chapman married none other than his travel agent gloria it was at this time he was still working at the hospital though he was in the print office he had little interaction with others But after one argument with a nurse, he quit. Hmm. Yeah. Chapman decided to become a security guard. He was now becoming increasingly unstable and his depression was back. He became obsessed with the book, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. He identified most with Holden Caulfield, the delusioned main character of the book. This is when Mark wrote out a list of people he would like to kill. Mm. Um, Have you read The Catcher in the Rye? I haven't, actually. No, me neither. (laughs) I was like, does that guy write out like a kill list? Like, where is he getting this idea from? But I don't know. The only thing that I know that has a kill list is Game of Thrones, Arya. I don't know if you guys watched that, but. She has a kill list of all the people that wronged her in her life. And yeah, she would strike your name out every time she took you out. So it was really lethal. And she was this young girl. So nobody, um, you know, really took her seriously. They kind of thought she was a joke until until they ended up dead. <laughs> okay. So some of the notable people on the list included Johnny Carson, a popular TV show host at the time, Elizabeth Taylor, one of the best actresses of all time, and John Lennon. He wrote to a friend, Linda Irish, I'm going nuts, signed The Catcher in the Rye. Um, Chapman didn't just snap, though. This attack was planned. 
three months prior, he started to notice John Lennon for his anti-religious stance. First, it was his comment about the Beatles being more popular than Jesus. That was strike one. Even though this comment was from an old 1966, like this is old. It's not like something he had just recently said. Uh, Mark's prayer group also made a joke version of the song Imagine, singing Imagine If John Lennon Was Dead, and they would, like, sing it, which is really bad. <laughs> Horrible. Uh, that was an inspirational song, too. It's still inspirational. Yeah. A friend recalls Mark saying that the song was communist. Okay. Then Anthony Fawcett wrote an article about lifestyles in New York called John Lennon One Day at a Time. After reading this, Chapman was quoted by Jack Jones in his book, Let Me Take You Down, as saying, I would listen to the music and I would get angry at him for saying in the song God that he didn't believe in God, that he just believed in him and Yoko even though this record had been done at least 10 years previously, I just wanted to scream out loud, who does he think he is? Saying these things about God and heaven and the Beatles, saying that he doesn't believe in Jesus and things like that. At that point, my mind was going through a total blackness of anger and rage. So I brought the Lennon book home into the catcher of the rye Milu where my mindset is Holden Caulfield and anti-phoniness. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Seems like things are like kind of going off the deep end there. <laughs> I mean, he's super fired up about this, like his perception that Lennon basically didn't think God was real or like hated God or whatever. And, you know, he had a lot to, a lot to say about it. Yeah. Which... I mean, everyone can have their own opinion, like that's fine, (laughs) but evidently not to Mark. So in October of 1980, Mark went to New York City because he was still living in Hawaii with the intention of killing Lennon, but he left to get ammunition from a friend in Atlanta and returned the next month. During this time, (laughs) he saw the movie Ordinary People and had second thoughts about the murder he was planning. So he went home to Hawaii to his wife, and he admitted he had been obsessing over killing John Lennon. Then he revealed he had a gun and bullets. Later that night, a message flashed across his TV saying, Thou shall not kill. And the same message was on a plaque his wife had hung in their apartment. At no time did his wife report his threats to police. He did make an appointment with a psychologist before leaving for New York, but he ended up canceling it. Hmm. His depression was raging, and he thought about jumping from the Statue of Liberty to end it all. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) On December 7th, James Taylor was pinned to the wall of the 72nd Street subway station by Mark Chapman. Chapman was sweating and started going off about his plans and talking about John Lennon and how he was interested in his stuff. Nothing was making sense. Mark left. He grabbed a taxi, allegedly offering the driver cocaine, and went to his hotel. He called Gloria. 
he was telling her he needed to get things right with himself and he needed to work on his relationship with God. This dude doing Coke and he's over here trying to judge other people about their beliefs and what they're up to. Like, plus I doesn't cocaine like kind of fuel your fire. It's, it's an upper. So it probably got him all jazzed up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like sweating and like pinning people to like the side of the subway being like, Oh, let me tell you about John Lennon. Right? Like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, never mind. I'm going to go do some more Coke and then I'll go actually do something. You know, I'm going to try to get right. Oh my gosh. Like he's a mess. How much do you think his wife knew? And like, why wouldn't she say something at this point? He flew from Hawaii to New York. I mean, did she think that he was like full of crap and he was just, maybe she was glad he was taken off for a while. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder what he told her. I don't really I don't remember reading like what he said he was going to go do. So the next morning, December 8th, 1980, he left his hotel room at the Sheraton and went over to the Dakota apartments where John lived basically to stalk him. He waited outside all day. And when John Lennon first came out, he got distracted So then he caught the housekeeper on a walk with John Lennon's five-year-old son, Sean, and he reached over the housekeeper to shake the boy's hand and calls him a beautiful boy, a nod to one of Lennon's songs. Right. I'm like, what a freak. (laughs) Weird. Oh my gosh. How scary. Yeah. Finally, Lennon and Yoko walk out. Chapman, ready with one of Lennon's albums, asks for a signature. There's actually a photo taken by an amateur photographer of this encounter. I put it on the reel I posted last week, if you guys saw that. So Mark, on a fanboy high after seeing Lennon, he tried to get other people to hang out and go out like for a drink or something, but no one took him up on it. He tried to play it off later saying, well, maybe I wouldn't have killed him if they had gone out with me. Well, not that night at least, but I would have waited a day or so. Oh, wow. Okay, bitter. Right? (laughs) So at 10, John and Yoko were walking back into their home when Chapman, who had been waiting outside all day now, saw his chance. He fired five bullets at Lennon Four coming in contact. John and Yoko had been recording and were on their way home. Their last words to each other, according to the record planet, or Yoko said, shall we go and have dinner before we go home? And John said, no, let's go home because I want to see Sean before he goes to sleep. He wanted to see his son. I know, just a little five-year-old. And I wonder, too, if it's kind of like, I don't know, like, you know, sometimes you wonder if people have an idea that something's about to go wrong and you like wanted to see his kid. I don't know. Oh, true. Yeah. Okay, well, when the NYPD arrived, they saw how severe Lennon's wounds were. So without waiting for an ambulance, they rushed him to Roosevelt Hospital. Unfortunately, though, John Lennon was pronounced dead on arrival. 
They worked on him for 10 to 20 minutes trying to resuscitate him. He was not breathing and he had no pulse. As the last ditch effort, the doctor cut him open and tried to manually massage his heart back to working order. Isn't that crazy? He like literally was trying to massage his heart. But one of the bullets had struck his aorta, lodging itself inside. The other three bullets that hit him actually went straight through him. The doctor who tried his best at life-saving measures is quoted as saying, when I realized that he wasn't going to make it, I just sewed him back up and I felt helpless. I feel like when I read that, I was, you know, he like literally was just, I'm going to make his heart work. Like I'm going to get this guy, you know, to be alive again. And it was probably because he saw, holy fuck, this is John Lennon, like, and I'm responsible if he gets alive again, you know? Um, and he was very beloved too. So it was kind of, it would be yeah. like somebody a lot of people admired. And then you're, yeah. So it's like, not only that he's famous, but you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot be responsible for this. Like I have to try my best. And then you just feel so helpless that you can't do anything. They did all this probably because he was famous. Like, I don't think they would have done this with just anyone. You're right. Probably not. <laughs> I just thought but that you was know like what? insane. I- So John Lennon was cremated and his ashes were scattered in Central Park within view of his apartment. The police still on scene found Chapman reading the catcher in the rye. He told police, I'm sure the big part of me is Holden Caulfield, who is the main person in the book. The small part of me must be the devil. Police questioned him for eight hours after arresting him. Mark Chapman was 26 at the time of the murder and he had left his hotel with the intent of police searching it. The Bible that he left in his room that he had told his wife he was praying with to curb his murder pangs had the handwritten word Lenin written next to chapter of John inside it. You know where it says like chapter of John and then he put chapter of John Lenin. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, dumb. Oh, wow. Obsessed. Yeah. The police found $2,000 in cash, a gun, and a copy of Catcher in the Rye. And it was found in his room with an inscription in it that said, this is my statement, signed Holden Caulfield. Chapman was charged with second-degree murder and the admittance of using hollow-point bullets to ensure Lennon's death. So hollow-point bullets, when you shoot them inside somebody, so the bullet expands inside of the person and makes it more lethal. Oh. Yeah. Um, Something about the way that that bullet is designed, like with that hollow point in the, in the like front or whatever, it's designed to make sure that you kill that person where the other bullets can Mm. just go right through you, you know? Yeah. That's terrible. Chapman was taken in for mental evaluation. He was studied by over a dozen professionals, three from the prosecution, six for the defense, and several more on behalf of the court. The evaluations totaled over 200 hours. He was diagnosed separately with the following conditions, psychosis, paranoid schizophrenia, manic depression, personality disorders. But even with all of these findings, he was deemed competent to stand trial. 
The mental evaluation took place over six months before the trial. Chapman, having killed a legend, was now infamous. Many wanted him dead, so for his safety, they had him transferred to Rikers Island. It's also good to point out that months after John said the Beals were more popular than Jesus, Lennon had held a press conference to clear up the meaning behind this statement. He said, well, originally I pointed out that fact in reference to England, that we, the Beatles, meant more to kids than Jesus did or religion at that time. I wasn't knocking it or putting it down. I was just saying it as a fact. And it's true more for England than here. I'm not saying that we're better or greater or comparing us with Jesus Christ as a person or God as a thing or whatever it is. I just said what I said and it was wrong or it was taken wrong. And now it's all this. Which I guess Mark failed to hear that press conference because it fueled Chapman to act on his delusions. Yeah. I feel like uh, John had like cleared himself, but Chapman was only listening to the part he wanted to hear, you know, mm-hmm. like that was like a really good statement. I know. You know, he obviously didn't really mean it that way. I think he was just, you know, popping off and saying something, but I'm like, wow, we're more popular than Jesus because yeah. more kids are interested in the Beatles than they are like going to church or whatever, which I don't think is a false statement. Not at all. It's sad, but true, you know, but. My mother went to see the Beatles when she was a kid. She got tickets Mm -hmm. and she's literally throwing themselves on the ground. They were screaming and crying, kind of like what you see when you watch like old footage of Elvis and stuff and like the Beatles. But yeah, they were super popular. People were like losing their minds. So yeah, it's more popular than Jesus, like being like kind of a joke. Yeah. I mean, if you take it the way he meant it. Yeah. In pretrial, Chapman's lawyer suggested he plead guilty by reason of insanity, but Chapman wanted to plead guilty. As the lawyer and client went back and forth, his lawyer really questioned his sanity at this point. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Chapman gave an interview to the New York Times saying, everyone should read Catcher in the Rye. As the trial was set to begin, Chapman said God told him to plead guilty. The judge deemed him competent, and the trial began without a jury. It was clear he was guilty, and so basically the judge just had to determine sentencing. At one point, Chapman was asked if he had anything to say, so he read the court a passage from The Catcher in the Rye. I'm (laughs) so sick of hearing this book. (laughs) Well, we should read it, right? I don't know. I know. I don't want to know because he told us to. The judge decided to send him to prison, but ordered psychiatric treatment for Chapman during his incarceration. He was sentenced to 20 years to life, five years less than the maximum sentence of 25 years to life. Interesting. Why did he shave five years off? I don't know. Yeah, I think because he felt like he was like mentally unstable or something. It did sound like he wanted him to get actual help. So maybe he did kind of like, I know you're off your rocker you're you did something that was crazy but i'd rather you get help like he he's gonna put him away but he's also gonna be like you need help yeah yeah so once imprisoned in 1981 at attica correctional institute in new york chapman refused to eat 
he went 26 days with no food until they force fed him. And after that, he was moved to another facility. He appeared before the parole board on August 31st. The New York Department of Corrections and Community Supervision told CNN. Chapman sought parole every two years since the year 2000 when he first was eligible. Oh my gosh. And he'll remain in prison for at least two more years when he'll be eligible to seek parole again. The department has not released transcript from Chapman's most recent parole hearing, but he's he served the 20 years at Greenhaven Correctional Facility in New York and been like, what, 12 times he's applied for parole? Yeah. And they always are like, no. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Which is maybe what the judge wanted. <laughs> Especially if he's still talking about the catcher in the rye, I'd be like, jeez. Mm, no. God, I hope not. According to Sky News, Chapman, in a transcript released by New York officials Monday under a Freedom of Information request, said his decision to kill Lennon was, quote, my biggest answer to everything. I wasn't going to be a nobody anymore, end quote. Isn't that horrible that like to make himself, he thought to make himself somebody, he had to do something like that to another person, another human being. Like yeah. just by somebody famous, he was somehow going to get, I mean, that seems narcissistic to me. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'll just leech on to this guy's famousness by killing mm-hmm. him. And then I'll be famous too. Cause I'll be the one who killed the famous guy. So then what does this have to do with religion again? What does this have to do with like him disrespecting God? This guy, he he was mad at John Lennon because he felt like he disrespected God supposedly. But really it was to make himself, you know, stand out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just like, I don't even think he knows why he did it. Like, it's just so ridiculous. He doesn't even have a reason anymore. I think he got like a little excited when he started getting like infamous and he's like yeah I did that because I wasn't going to be a nobody I don't know so he's still with his wife Gloria who was never charged with knowing about his plans and taking no action she still visits her husband to meet for conjugal visits where they get 44 hours alone in a prison home Uh. so she still stay with him like they are still together to this day and you know, um, there's something with her too maybe she's cans short of a six-pack too you know what i mean yeah obviously like to stay with this guy who like i mean a pretty extreme thing to do i don't know she like literally stayed with him like i'll read this because it's like super interesting okay <laughs> so they literally started dating the day he got back from his around the world trip And she was from Hawaii, but she was an American Japanese. Yoko Ono was also Japanese. And when I saw the picture of her and Chapman and then John Lennon and Yoko Ono, it was like, uh, was Chapman trying to get a wife that looked like Yoko Ono so he could be like John Lennon? Like they looked similar. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I don't know. I just felt like really weird when I saw that picture. 
she left her Buddhist religion and became Christian like Mark. She said during his dark times of depression and drinking, he would get physical with her. Oh, my also, God. Yeah. He, had mur- he admitted to her his murder plans. Like, get out of there, Gloria. You don't, you don't need this guy. I know. That one time that he had gone back to Hawaii after getting bullets, he said, my love had saved him. Um, that's what Gloria said in her column. He, quote, he even had me hold the gun, which was so cold from being in the plane's cargo hold. I guess they had been talking about it, and he said he threw the gun in the ocean, but obviously he hadn't. Oh um So she was at home watching Little House on the Prairie when a banner came across the screen saying John Lennon had died and she knew right away what happened. She did try to move to New York to be closer to his prison, but only stayed a year before going back to Hawaii. And they started a prison ministry together. The heck out of here, dude. She said, we prayed for Yoko Ono. I'm a wife to Mark, and I can identify myself with her more than anybody. I feel for her. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? They're both sick in the head, dude. Yeah. Just even, look, you, you, he took away a father, a husband. Uh, he's trying to mimic John Lennon's life. And this chick is just all about it. Yeah, yeah, let's start a prison ministry, and I'm going to go for conjugal visits. And, you know... I totally get Yoko Ono. What? Yeah. And she said, I can identify myself with her more than anybody. What does that even mean? I don't even know. I don't know. Because when all this happened, they had only been together a year and a half. Okay. Just say you didn't really know the guy and get a divorce. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like we had our whole lives together before this happened. And I know a totally different person. Yeah. I can see that people have done that where they've stayed with the person because they were like, yeah, like you said, they have kids and it's like a whole thing. No, these, you know, or they snapped or something, you know, and it was just like, I fucked up. I messed up. You know, he literally thinks he did like the right thing. Yeah. I just wish I never looked her up now because it pissed me off. (laughs) Especially. Oh, Oh, I totally like feel like I can identify with Yoko Ono. Get out of here. No, you can't because guess what? You have your husband and she doesn't. That's right. That's right. Sick. So that is the case of Mark Chapman. And I super didn't know this story at all. Like I knew one of the Beatles had died and I had figured he had been murdered, but I really didn't know the story at all. I didn't either. And then, I mean, people talked about the murderer being like somebody that was kind of psycho, but hearing more about his backstory and just all the red flags, like a lot of people ignored and, or he, like he was coupled up with this Gloria, you know, person who she was just as crazy as him. It sounds like. So, you know, um, he flew all the way from Hawaii. I mean, all these things that I just, I had no idea, all these puzzle pieces and like how this went down. It's just, it makes it so much more sad um yeah. such a legend and that you know even the the doctor that tried like all you know to the final moment to even do everything in his complete power 
to bring him back, you know? I know. It's really sad. Cause I think that like the Beatles were really inspirational to people. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have any like negative connotation when I think of the Beatles. Like I just think they're like this mm-hmm. sunshiny band, you know? He's super talented and you know, nobody thought he was going to meet an end like that. Like, um, this guy just comes out of nowhere from, you know, podunk Georgia somewhere. And, <laughs> right. And he's just thinking he's all that. I can't believe it. I, yeah, just tragic. Yeah. I think one of the things that I wasn't expecting when we did this, um, God made me do it season was the, I mean, and I don't know why I didn't expect this, but like the amount of psychological problems that people have and they're just like off killing people. I don't know. I thought it would be some wild stories, but now I'm just like looking at everyone like, uh, is that a red flag? Are you going to kill someone? Like, I just feel like I'm like diagnosing everyone now because I've just like done so much research on like mental illness. (laughs) He's doing drugs, but then he's also like killing people. Yeah. He's trying to act like he's offended about someone making a comment about God. It's just the delusions, you know? Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. Wild. Well, I am um, sad to say we're done with this series. Um, We are definitely going to be moving on now to more relationship-based true crime stories. And I think those are going to be really captivating. I know I love to hear crimes of passion, things that happen, especially when it's like, you know, somebody betrays someone else. Like those are like really juicy stories and also really horrific and tragic too. So we hope that you guys are going to enjoy our next series, which will start next week. Um, Stay tuned. And hopefully the sound quality comes out good in this. I'm going to work my tail off at trying to make sure we get our, you know, system back in order so we can give you the same quality we had when we were in person. And I miss you, Becky. I know. It's so sad. I told my kids, all right, I'm going to go record. And they're like, is Lisa coming over? And I was like, no. (laughs) So everyone misses you over here, Lisa. Yeah, I miss them. the same. Please tell everybody hi. And you guys, please stay tuned. Yeah, make sure to keep following us on Instagram and TikTok at God Made Me Do It. Uh, that might be changing, but we will let you know. Um, and God Made Me Do It at gmail.com, which also might be changing, but we will also let you know. And yeah, thank you guys for our first season and following along. And we will be back next week. Stay tuned.
on just a sec. I have a cat situation. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> you hear the cat meowing in the background? I hear something. Okay. All right. I'll go back to it. So Mojo was like, there's a cat inside the main house. Oh. And oh. The cat is sitting there staring at it. So obviously the cat's like trying to like talk to him, you know, talk to her. <sighs> okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> she won't stop. Oh my God. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay. <laughs> I can't hear her. Can't? Oh my gosh. I, it's so loud over here. Like I'm surprised. Okay. I just texted Riley, like, be quiet. I'm recording because he's like screaming at his friends in Valorant right now. I'm like, oh my God, shut up. 